told that I'm too short to stand on the floor. I don't feel bad about it. I'm proud of being shorter. Let's pray. Lord God, be with us today as we open up your word. Um, I, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to me so that the words that I say to your people, to the people who are gathered here, your dear, chosen, holy, loved people, that my words would be good for their souls, that it would build them up and shape them for not just for now, but for eternity. And I pray for the ears that will hear this word from you, that their ears would hear it, and not just hear it and let it pass through, but, and not just hear it with their minds, but that the truth would sink down into their hearts. And Holy Spirit, we know that you alone are the one who can do that. Uh, so I pray that you would make my mouth and their ears receptacles and, and gifts from you, that we might hear and believe the truth of your word and might be shaped according to your good purpose. But we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Glad to spend this time with you. Every day, and you can debate me later if you want, but every day I think we wake up and we make all kinds of choices. We make all, all kinds of decisions about how we're going to spend our time. We, we make automated decisions, things that are kind of set on autopilot. We make decisions that are practical practical and thought out. They're not impulse kinds of things. For instance, every Sunday morning I have this automated decision that I kind of make for me and Ruth makes fun of me all the time. But on my way to church on Sunday morning, I stop at Dunkin' Donuts. And when I'm at Dunkin' Donuts, I have a choice. Will I get espresso on my coffee or not? And the bigger question is, will I have a donut with my coffee? Those two things kind of go together. I don't know if it's a good choice, but it's a choice that I make. And like all the other decisions that I make in the course of my life, I try to make choices, try to make decisions that seem good. 
I never try to make a decision that's going to be intentionally bad for, for me or for anybody. I do what seems best to me, and I try to do it with good intentions. And, and I don't think that, that I'm the only one. I think all of you woke up this morning and you had a decision to make, will I go to church or not? You had a choice when you looked in your closet, what will I wear this morning? And I'm really pumped to see all the DHL gear, right? This one family that's gathered around in mission and ministry and education together. You you had choices. Later on, you're going to have choices. Are you going to watch football this afternoon? What will you eat for lunch? You have choices this after church, we're having this event where you get to think about how can I serve the Lord? Again, a multitude of choices and the things that will present you are not the only choices that you have about how you'll serve the Lord. Every, every day we have countless choices that we make and, and we try to make the best decisions that we can. We, we do what seems best to us. And I think, if I can speak to the parents for a minute, I, I think that as parents, you're, you're constantly trying to do that for your kids. I don't think, I'm, I, I put the best construction on I don't think that there's a single parent ever who says, you know what, I want my children to suffer. You know, I, I make that joke to my kids because they'll ask me, Dad, why? And I'll say, because I want you to suffer. But that's not actually true. Even if it hurts them a little bit because it's a chore or uncomfortable, it's because I want them to grow up as children of God. I want them to be my children. I want them to be useful to the people around me. I want them to, more than anything else, not just be useful people, but as we say to our kids every day, I want them to be heirs of eternity. And I'm a parent, and I don't think I speak for myself when I say these things. I think every parent here wants what's best for their kids. And the things that I talked about are at least some of the things that you want what's good for your kids. You don't choose to do things that, you know what, I'm going to do something bad for them today. And, and, I, and I know that I also speak for our teachers when they carry that same burden. I, I think I speak for our administration when we think about what we do in our school, that everything we do is, is for the good of the kids, is for good the good of the scholars, is for the good of the family. We're, we're trying. We don't always know what's best, but we're at least trying to do what's best for our scholars. That's why the structure, that's why the routine, that's why the things that we teach them, we, we carefully teach and think about the things that we'll teach and how we'll teach them in the classroom because we believe that it's what's best for your kids. I think we're all on the same kind of page that we all try to make decisions. We try to do what seems best to us. By the way, if you haven't caught on yet, I'm pulling on verse three, 4. The potter did what seems best. We all try to do what seems best. We try to do what's really good, but I don't always do what's best. Sometimes the choices that I make, like that donut before I came to church this morning, maybe not the best choice. It's maybe bad for me. And sometimes our, what, what seems best in our eyes is actually sinful. It's not a donut anymore. It's something that's bad for my soul. God, I'm going to get to Jeremiah now, God had called his people Israel. They were the sons of Jacob who prayed in the first lesson. They were the children of Jacob, sons who later became called Israel because of that wrestling moment. They were his people. God, they were to him like his children. 
He said, like a father leads his son who carries his son on his shoulders, so I carried you. God also talked about his people in terms of marriage. He says, like a husband takes a bride to himself, so Israel, I have drawn you with cords of love. I have drawn you with everlasting kindness. God did that for his people right? This people of Israel, God said, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. I'm going to pick you to be mine, and I'm going to lead you out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He parted the scene as people came through, right? And then they wandered in the wilderness, and God was with them there, and then God led them across another river, the Jordan River. And again, he parted the way for them. He piled up water on one side, and it ran away on the other side, and they went across into the land. And that land of giants filled with milk and honey God gave that land to them. It was their land, and he gave David a throne. These were his dear people, and they tried to do what seems best to them. In fact, there's a refrain that shows a couple of times in the Scriptures that in those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. They did what seemed best in their own eyes, but what was best in their eyes was actually not just bad, but sinful. And and over time, it didn't get any better. Fast forward to the days of Jeremiah, hundreds of years past the days of the judges that I just was talking about. Fast forward hundreds of years, and God's people were still doing the same thing. God's, God's sending Jeremiah to his people To say, you people have made, you're doing things that are right in your eyes, but the things that you think are good and right are things that are sinful and wicked in my sight. You're taking pieces of wood and you're calling it God. And God only wanted what was best for his people. Can you begin to sense it as we walk through this this morning? By the way, before I go on, there's only one fill-in, and it's the last sentence of the sermon. So don't be waiting for anything up there. Until the very end, then you'll know it's time to say amen. Can you begin to sense the tension, though? You have a people chosen and loved by God, even us, chosen and loved by God who are doing what they think is best, but what they think is best is sinful. And you have a God who only wants what's best for his people, which is eternity, walking with him every day of their life, walking together. You have two people who want what is best, and there's now this trouble. Enter Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the prophet of the Lord, and it's God. Jeremiah is really God's answer. What am I going to do about this people who's going their own way? So God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, come with me. Come with me to the potter's house, and I want you to see what happens there. Now, I don't imagine that many of you have ever been to a potter's house or seen a potter at his wheel, although I'm sure there are a few of you. But it's not hard for us to imagine what, you, what happens there in the potter's house. The, the potter, he has a lump of clay and he has his wheel and he grabs, Jeremiah watches and the potter grabs his, potter, his lump of clay and he, and he thunks it on his potter's wheel. And, and then the potter, he, you can imagine this, can't you? Then the potter puts his hands on the clay. And this is what Jeremiah watches. He watches the wheel spin and he watches the the potter take his hands. They're dirty and muddy and he's got his hands all over the lump of clay and he's forming it. And then as Jeremiah watches the potter at his wheel, can you see it? As he watches the potter at his wheel, the pot does its own thing. 
it goes its own way and it's ruined in his hands. And Jeremiah sees all this happening. Now, if you're the potter and the pot goes wrong, what do you do? Well, you might be tempted to throw it away. You might be tempted to get rid of it because it's a ruined lump of clay. What can you do with it anymore? But notice this. The potter does not say, oh, this pot is ruined and throw it to the side. He, he puts his hands on the pot and he forms it into something else. He forms it into another pot as seems best to him as was good in his eyes. And, and God says, Jeremiah, I want you to understand, as the, pot do, as the potter does with the pot, so I do with my people. Can you sense the conflict between people and God? It's as if God is saying to his people, dear people of God, I am the potter and I will have my way with you. Did you, see, did you hear God throw it down? If you listen to my voice and repent, then you'll be okay. But if you do not listen to me, if you do not hear my voice, I will have my way with you and you will be taken away. The potter says to the potter, I will have my way with you, whether you like it or not. I am God, I am the potter, you are not. Hear my voice and live. Push my voice away and you will die. Can you sense the conflict? And it's not just the conflict between the rebellious people and the potter. There's also a conflict, you'll see this in Jeremiah, between the prophet and the potter. Because the prophet, here's the thing, Jeremiah is faithful. He does what God calls him to do, and yet still Jeremiah and the potter have a beef. Five, five times, at least five times in the book of Jeremiah, the, the, the prophet looks at God and said, God, what are you doing right now? Are you nuts? He's called the weeping prophet because he disagrees with God. But even then, the potter says to the prophet, I will have my way with you. And by the way, Jeremiah survives and outlasts even the walls of Jerusalem. There's a conflict this morning between the potter and us people. And, and I want to be the prophet this morning for just a moment. I don't want to just unpack the prophet. I want to be the prophet and I want you to hear the word of the Lord that he's given to me through Jeremiah. Listen to his voice. Hear what he has to say. If you push him away, he will have his way with you and it will not be pleasant. It will be eternal and it will be judgment. But if you hear his voice today and if you live, believe in him, you will live. Hear his voice today, dear people of God, and live. There are others of you who are walking faithfully with the Lord, who are seeking to do what's right as you walk behind him, who are putting his word in the pathway before you, seeking to walk in his ways, and you're saying to him sometimes in your life as hardship swims over you, you say, God, what are you doing? I'm trying to follow you here. The potter still says to you, I will have my way with you, and my way for you is salvation. My way for you is eternity. You will outlast the walls of Jerusalem you will outlast judgment because of me. God says to you and me today, I will have my way with you, whether you like it or not. I will do what I think is best. 
That's kind of an uncomfortable idea, isn't it? That, that God would say to you and me, I will do with you whatever I want to do. It, it kind of seems to make God trivial or capricious or, or willy-nilly. Like, like God's going to do with us whatever he wants and God's going to flip a coin and do this kind of thing with us. Like God's going to do with us as he will. And, and in some ways, there's something uncomfortable about that, right? That we don't have a, a say about what God's going to do in our life. We do have choices to make, but ultimately God is God and we're not and we just got to go along with it. There's something uncomfortable, isn't there, about this idea that God will have his way with us? But let me help you ask a question this morning. If God's the potter who does as he seems, as seems best to him, what is it that seems best to God? What is it that pleases him? Let me tell you. It pleased God, past tense, pleased it pleased God to put his hands on you when you were little. Wait, it pleased God to put his hands on you when you were just in your mother's womb, barely visible to the eye, but even there God's hands were on you to create you and to form you and to shape you and to make you in your mother's womb. The psalmist says, God, I praise you because you're fearfully and wonderfully, because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. God, David knew, we know that God already then, he pleased him to make you and to give you life and breath. And it pleases God to not just give you life, but then to sustain life. If you're here still today and you're living and breathing, it means that God's not done with you yet. See, the potter did not discard the pot even though it was ruined in his hands. You are ruined in his hands because of sin, but God's not done with you. It pleases God to continue to give you life and to work in your life. It also pleased God when he looked at you and I in our mess. It pleased God to fully become a human being. It pleased God to come down from heaven and fully become a man in the person of Jesus. It, it pleased God to take on your flesh and not just take on your flesh, but to take on your sin. That's Colossians chapter 1, by the way. God was pleased to have all the fullness of the Godhead dwell in human, human form and through him to reconcile all things, all of us, to himself. And it pleased God to take that God-man who, that, that God who, I'm talking about Jesus, confusing when you get the Trinity together. It pleased God to crush him. Isaiah 53.10. It was God's will to crush him. But not just to crush him, but then to give him life again and through his life to give us life. See, this is God's pleasure. It, it pleased God to call you, to choose you to be his very own. In the classroom, our teachers say, kids, if you, if you know this, join in. In the classroom, sometimes our teachers say, if you can hear my voice, clap once. Oh, you're not listening. I think you're all sleeping. Here's my point. If you can hear my voice, God shows you and is calling you 
to be his own. That was what God did with his stubborn, stiff-necked people, Israel. They were rebellious. They were small. They were nothing. They were nobody. But God said, I pick you. And if you can hear my voice this morning, God picked you and chose you to be his own. The fact that you're here is part of God's shaping to choose and call you to be his own dear child. And if you hear my voice and you believe what I'm telling you from God, let me tell you this, it pleases God to give you eternity through his son Jesus. That God who was pleased to become man, the God who was pleased to crush his son, the God who was pleased to choose you from all eternity is the God is the God who now saves you through his son. And the God who through the rest of your life is shaping you like a potter. When you're marred through his son Jesus, he'll make you something new, something other. We are, Paul, Paul says this, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for works of service which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Right? God's hands are what make us. Dear people of God, this is what pleases God. And what pleases God, that pleases me. Amen? Yes. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. Amen.